I'm sure on more than one occasion, all of you have picked up a rock and you've thrown that rock into a pool of water, whether it's a lake or a pond or just a, a creek bed, and you've seen the power of the ripple. Um, yesterday I was out running and um, as I was running, I noticed a father and his two sons throwing rocks into a pond over beside us. And as I watched those rocks hit that water, I saw the ripple as it made its way to three of the banks of that pond. You know, the definition of a ripple effect is this, the continuing and spreading results of an event or an action. Maximus in the movie Gladiator, as he's rallying the troops before a major battle, he says this, he says, what we do here today will echo into eternity. What you and I do as believers here on this earth will certainly echo into eternity, won't it? That is the power of the ripple. It echoes far beyond the initial splash. And God's Word is very much a book about ripple effects. Just think about the New Testament. When Jesus came to this earth, think about the splash that He made. Jesus came to earth. He invested His life into the lives of 12 men. Eleven of those men completed the journey with Him. One of those men, though, turned the Turned Jesus over to the Roman authorities and to the religious leaders to die a criminal's death. Ten of the other eleven men would die a martyr's death. One of those men, John, did not die a martyr's death. None died, though, of those eleven without leaving behind a ripple effect. Think about their ripple effect the disciples made on this earth. Jesus was their leader. He is the one that invested in them for three years. Following Jesus' death and resurrection and just before his ascension, Jesus tells the disciples and those that were in attendance that day to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so a few days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. And we find Peter standing before the Jews that assembled on that day. And he preached one of the most powerful sermons ever delivered. And on that first day when the Holy Spirit fell upon those men and those women in attendance, 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Over the next several days, there would be 5,000 men that would come to faith. That's not counting the number of women, the number of students, or the number of children that turned their lives over to Jesus Christ as a result of the Holy Spirit falling upon the, the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Just think about the magnitude of that first splash. Think about the magnitude of Jesus coming to earth. He left heaven full of all of its glory, and he came to this earth to dwell amongst us. He lived a perfect life. He would go to the cross. He would die for your sins and my sins, and he would provide a way for us being sinful men to be reconciled to our holy God. 
His initial splash began a ripple that would soon encompass the entire known world. That ripple began where? It began in Bethlehem. And then it would go on to Nazareth and to the Galilee region. And then that ripple would come to Jerusalem. And it would be out of Jerusalem following the death and stoning of Stephen that the gospel would what? The gospel would go to Judea. It would go to Samaria. It would eventually make its way to Rome. And then from Rome, it would encompass the entire world. I want us to watch a video. And this is going to be a video in which we see the ripple effect of the gospel from the time that Jesus came to this earth up into the year 2015. Let's watch this. Do you see that initial splash that Jesus made on this earth? And do you see the ripple effects of the disciples' ministry by going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the world? Our message point this morning is this. You and I are beneficiaries of the ripple effect of the gospel. I love what David Jeremiah says about this. He says, those of us over whom the waves of the grace of God have washed are responsible for sharing the gospel and causing the ripple effect to continue. Every one of us in this room that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are responsible for continuing the ripple effect of the gospel amongst our generation and the generations to come after us. In Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 6, we read this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This morning, I want us to look at three different points. The first one is this, the ripple effect of faithfulness. The ripple effect of faithfulness. You know, within the Bible, 
as I already alluded to, there are countless stories that document the ripple effect of faithful men and faithful women standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to look at, at two just from the book of Daniel. These are two stories that we're very, very familiar with, but it's what we read at the end of these stories that I really want to, to ignite a flame within us so that we can see the power of the ripple, the power of our faithfulness. The first story, all, like I said, we're all familiar with the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar. What does he have? He has an idol that's constructed, and he requires that all men, women, students, and children that are in attendance, when they hear the music play, they require them to bow down and worship this idol. And so um, the time comes, the instruments play, everybody bows down with the exception of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as a result of that, the consequences for not bowing was that anyone that didn't bow would be thrown into a fiery furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are led up to a fiery furnace. This fiery furnace is heated up seven times hotter than its normal temperature. The men that bring them up to their death will actually... Um, die because the, the heat of those flames are so hot that they die right there on the spot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fall into the fire. And you know the story. What happens? There's not a single hair on their bodies that are singed. There's not a single fiber of the clothing that they're wearing that is singed either. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he says this as he looks into that fire in Daniel chapter 3 verses 24 and 25. He says, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And notice the power of the ripple here, what King Nebuchadnezzar says next. He says in verse 28, he said, it says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the gods of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb for limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Do you see the power of the ripple here? As a result of these men standing, this wicked king declared that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the only God that had the power basically over nature to calm the fiery furnace. And so this king declared before all of the people within his empire, that they are to say nothing bad about the one true God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then fast forward several years, and we come to another story within the book of Daniel. It's a story of Daniel and the lion's den. This is a story of faithfulness that involves Daniel and a new king representing a new empire that had overtaken the Babylonian empire. And you know the story well. The story is this. There's 120 satraps that have been appointed by King Darius, providential leaders, to rule over the land. There's three men that have been set aside to rule over those 120, and Daniel is one of those men. 
Because Daniel was an outsider and because he was one of the favorites of King Darius, the rest of the satraps and the leaders, um, they become jealous. And so what they do is they try to catch Daniel in a trap because they know Daniel is faithful. They know that he is faithful to his God. And so they go up to King Darius and they encourage King Darius to issue a decree. And that decree is this. If anybody worships any God other than King Darius for the next 30 days, they are to be thrown in to the lion's den. So this decree is issued. And as a result of this decree being issued, this is where we find Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, we read, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done. As a result of Daniel's faithfulness, in his unwavering um, 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 position as a child of God. Daniel is turned over to King Darius. And King Darius actually tries to backtrack the law that he had signed into place. But the men said, you can't change the law, King Darius. The law is the law. And so Darius is, 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 has no other choice but to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And what I love about this story is this. A few weeks ago, we looked at gentleness. And do you remember what the word gentleness means? It means to bring under control like a wild stallion or a wild animal under control. And so what did God do to these lions in that lion's den when Daniel was thrown into that den? He gentled them, didn't he? He brought them under control. And I want us to see um, this story here in Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, we read, Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Then the king commanded And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. And here is the ripple effect of Daniel's faithfulness, standing up for the one true God. And this is what we read in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that is in, that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel 
prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus of Persian. Here's what I love about Daniel. The Daniel, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, the Daniel that we read about in Daniel chapter 1, the, the Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we read about of uh, their faithfulness to God by not eating of the king's, um, off the king's table. Those men were just teenagers. The Daniel that we read about in Daniel chapter 6, he's about 70 years old. Most people don't realize that, but Daniel in the lion's den is a story of a 70-year-old man that was not willing to compromise his faith. And he was committed to his God. And as a result of that, King Darius declared before all of the kingdom that Daniel's God is the one true God. Age is a moot point when it comes to faithfulness. You know that, right? God can use a, a person that's a teenager, or he can use somebody in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, their 70s, their 80s, their 90s, all the way into their hundreds. God can use faithful men, faithful women to change this world. Just think about the ripple effect that Daniel's faithfulness has had on this world. The ripple effect that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faithfulness has had upon this world. If you don't believe me, this story that we have just read about occurred about 2,600 years ago. And even today, we are still testifying of these men's faithfulness. There is a powerful ripple effect when you and I stand up for God and unashamedly declare that he is the one true God, the only way to salvation. So there is the ripple effect of faithfulness. Also notice, though, there is the ripple effect of sin. There is the ripple effect of sin. That's true. Man, think about that. I mean, if you've ever experienced the ripple effect of your own sin, you know this to be true. I think all of us know the ripple effect of sin, whether it's a personal sin, a family sin, or a sin within society that has affected us all. Looking back to creation's beginning, that first sin that Adam and Eve created, committed in the garden, produced a ripple effect that you and I today are still plagued with. That first sin has created a ripple effect that has plagued this entire earth. Within our society, think about the ripple effects our bad choices have had. Think back to the Supreme Court ruling where they legalized abortion. Since that legalization of abortion, there have been approximately 50 million babies that have been aborted. Think about the ripple effect of King David's sin. King David, you know the story of David and Bathsheba. This is a great example of the ripple effect of sin. Instead of being at battle with his soldiers, David stays behind and what does David do? David is up on the roof of his house and he looks out over the edge of his house and he looks down and he notices this beautiful woman taking a bath. And the story goes like this in 2 Samuel 11 verses 3 through 5. It says, and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba? 
the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Sin number one for David. David should have been where? It was the king's custom to be at war with his troops. David did not. He stayed behind. How many times in your life have you got caught up in a sinful act because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time? That's David. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Sin number two, David had an affair with another woman's wife. And as a result of this sin, as a result of this affair, David actually tries to cover up his sin. He sends for Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, and he sends for her, or for him, and he tells Uriah to go down to your house and be with your wife. But Uriah does what? Uriah doesn't go to his house. He stays and sleeps on the king's front porch with the rest of his servants. And we read of this story in 2 Samuel eleven, ten through 11. When David confronted Uriah and asked him why he did not go to his home to sleep with his wife, he says, when they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in Booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. What a picture of integrity this is. This man knew that he was to be at war. He knew that he was to be protecting the ark And so he did not go down to sleep with his wife. So to try and cover up this sin again, what does David do? David, once again, calls for Uriah. And David actually gets Uriah drunk. And he tries then to persuade Uriah once again to go down and sleep with his wife. But Uriah, once again, did not go to be with his wife. So David, knowing that he could not convince Uriah to sleep with his wife, sends Uriah back into battle. And we read of this account in 2 Samuel eleven fourteen through 15. It says, In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So David places Uriah on the front lines and basically has Uriah murdered. So sin number three, David gets Uriah drunk trying to cover up his own personal sin. And sin number four, David ensures that Uriah is murdered. Because of that one sin, that initial sin, we see a ripple effect of David having an affair, getting another woman pregnant, and then the consequences of that is also a man lost his life and was murdered. David is confronted for his sin. As oftentimes when we sin, 
We are confronted by those that we love and those that we respect. And so David is confronted by the prophet Nathan upon the Lord's instruction. And this is what we read. It says we have uh, in 2 Samuel 12, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said this to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, and your, and your sin uh, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. So here is the picture. David messed up. There is no sweeping that under the rug. There is no sugarcoating that. David royally messed up in a big, big way. But you know what David did? The reason that David was able to be declared as a man after God's own heart, you know what David did? David owned up. And as a result of him owning up and admitting what he had done was wrong and asking for the forgiveness of the Lord, the Lord forgave him. However, there were consequences still for those sins. His child would lose his life and David would not experience peace within his kingdom, but he would experience war. Your sins and my sins have a lasting impact on our lives on the lives of our children and on the lives of those that we do life with and on our society as well. You and I will mess up. That is a guarantee. We are sinful beings. We will make mistakes. And others will be affected as a result of our sins. When we do mess up, we must repent We must face the consequences, and then we also must move on. Know this. If you are in this room this morning, and you are hiding a sin, and you think that you will get away with that sin, let me tell you right now, the likelihood of you getting away with that sin is pretty much zero. Because our sins will always be exposed When that sin is introduced to the light. If we don't allow God to cover us from our sins, our sins will be exposed. There is a ripple effect of sin. Our personal sins, our society sins, and those ripples could be experienced for all of eternity. The final point this morning is this. The ripple effect of our legacy. I don't know about you, but I want to leave behind a legacy. I want to make a dent on planet 
earth because of my faithfulness to the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my prayer for you is that you too want to leave a dent on this planet because of the legacy that you have left behind as you have sought to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you want what you do today and during your lifetime to echo into all of eternity? One of my favorite songs of all times, and my son's going to kick out, get a kick out of this, but this was actually a song that was written in the 90s. Um, this is a song that I probably listened to about a million times on that tape cassette that I own. And for those of you who do not know what a tape cassette is, it's about this big. Um, and it's like a small VCR tape, if you know what a VCR tape is. But um, this song was called A Man That You Would Write About. And the beginning of that song goes like this. From time, from the time time began, you always chose a man to lead the people safely by your way, to be a voice and echo what you say. Like David or Abraham, the word is full of such men. But if the Bible had no closing page, it still was being written to this day. I want to be a man that you would write about. Oh, a thousand years from now that they could read about the servant of choice in whom you found favor, a man who heard your voice. Generations always, it's my prayer, they would look back and say, oh, to have that kind of faith and love. What a solid man of God he was. Man, can you imagine if people a thousand years from now, we're declaring of God's faithfulness as a result of our faithfulness to him. Let us leave behind a legacy of faith to our children, to our grandchildren, to our co-workers, our neighbors, and those that we do life with. How do we leave behind such a legacy? Well, we commit our lives to fear the Lord, and we commit our lives to obey His Word. We desire holiness in our lives as well, to be as perfect as we possibly can be. How else do we do this? Well, we make disciples who make disciples. You and I have been called to make disciples. Matthew 28 makes that abundantly clear. You and I are to invest our lives into the lives of other people. Who is it that you are investing your life in today? You know, there's a a couple of guys that I meet with on a regular basis that I invest my life in and God's word into. All of us need people in our lives that we can invest in. And we are also to go into all the world and preach the good news of salvation wherever we go. What you and I do here today will echo into all of eternity. You know, I came across a story, and I've read this many, many years ago, but it's a story of the the legacy of two men. And the first one is Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan um, preacher who lived back in the 1700s. Jonathan and his wife, Sarah, left a great godly legacy for his 11 children. 
At the turn of the 20th century, American educator and pastor A.E. Winship decided to trace out the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death. His findings are astounding, especially when compared to a man by the name of Max Jukes. Jukes' legacy came to the forefront when the family tree of 42 different men were in the New York prison system. Here's the legacy that Jonathan Edwards left behind. One U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. That's a pretty good legacy to leave behind. How was he able to leave that legacy behind? He invested in his children. And his children, in turn, invested their lives into their children and their children. And it created a ripple effect that I'm sure even today there are faithful men from Jonathan Edwards' um, family tree that are still standing up Sunday after Sunday preaching the good news of salvation. This other man, Max Jukes, descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of debauchery, 130 other convicts, and 310 paupers. It's believed, I guess back in the early 20th century, that this one family had cost the state of New York $1.25 million. This is a powerful example showing how a parent's leadership can have a profound effect upon their children. Not only can parents have a profound effect on their children, but... You and I can have a profound effect on those that we do life with every single day. Here's our takeaway this morning. Let's leave behind a legacy of faith that echoes into all of eternity. That is the power of the ripple. That what you and I do today here on this earth will create concentric circles that, that one day this entire world is going to be affected because of our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make a dent on this world. Let's make an impact. Let's leave behind a legacy that this world is going to forever be changed as a result of the faithfulness of the men, women, students, and children that are in this room today. Now, as we enter into a time of invitation this morning, you may be here this morning, and, and you're like, man, my life resembles more of the life of Max Jukes than it does Jonathan Edwards. Man, I don't know if I was to die today whether I'd go to heaven or to hell. Well, this morning I want to invite you to know for certain if you were to die today where you will spend eternity. The Bible is very, very clear that every single one of us in this room, when we die, we're going to go to one of two places. We'll go to heaven if we have faith in Jesus and we've repented of our sins and we've been forgiven of those sins and we declare Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. We will go to heaven. The Bible is also clear if if we fail to repent of our sins and cry out to Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, that we will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. So this morning, if you are here and you don't know for certain where you would go if you were to die today. I want to invite you in just a moment to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You know, we looked at that at, at creation's beginning, the very first sin that Adam and Eve committed plagued this entire world. But because Jesus came to this earth 
and died upon the cross for our sins and was raised to death three days later. He conquered sin and he conquered death and he provided a way that you and I can enter into a relationship with him. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come in just a moment during our time of invitation to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may be here this morning, you've been visiting this church a while, and the Lord is, is leading you and calling you to make this your church home. We would love for you to make Friendship Baptist Church your church home. You may, at the place where you're sitting, or you may need to come here to this altar and, and just on bended knee, just pray that the Lord will use you as a man, woman, student, or child that's going to be faithful to him. And as a result of your faithfulness, that faithfulness is going to echo into all of eternity. You may need to pray this morning for the Lord to use you in a powerful, mighty way. Let's stand together. And I'm going to pray. And at the conclusion of this prayer, we invite you to come. Father God, what a joy it is this morning. Father, to have come together as a body of believers. Thank you for allowing us this morning to worship you. Thank you for allowing us to just sit and, and, and listen and soak up your word this morning. Father, I know that in a room like this, of this size, that it is very, very likely that there is someone or multiple people here this morning that have yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior. If they were to die today, they have no clue where they would spend eternity. Father God, I pray right now that, that you will just begin to speak to them. And Father, I pray that, that you, will just, you will draw them this morning unto salvation. And Lord Jesus, in just a moment, as we have this time of invitation, may those men, women, students, and our children this morning that do not have a relationship with you. May they just come. May they step out of their seats and come to the front and just say, I need Jesus. I need to be forgiven of my sins. Father, just move during this time of invitation. If there's someone here this morning or a family here this morning that you're drawing to become members of this church, Lord Jesus, we pray that you will draw them here this morning. Father, just move during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning, there's a decision you need to make. You come. You come now. If you need to come trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you come. If you need to come join this church, you come. You come now during this time of invitation. I'll be standing right here.